Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Chris Fedor, Joe Varden with you on uh, Wednesday. It's shortly after 1 o'clock. I'm here in Bay Village. Joe is also in Bay Village, but different locations in Bay Village. It's been a, a little while since we've done this Wine and Gold Talk podcast, buddy, because we had all-star break, uh, then we were both kind of dealing with a little bit of illness, but it sounds like you're better. Yeah, uh, miraculously. I mean, there were some pictures floating around on Twitter <laughs> last night of me sitting there uh, with my hood over my head, which sometimes I do uh, anyway at these games uh, for any number of reasons, but Last night, I just kind of wanted, you know, I was looking for any bit of comfort to uh, guide me through a fever while watching uh, the Cavs struggle against the Nets. So, um, feeling definitely feeling better today, feeling like I'm on the net. So, what did you do to get yourself healthy? Because that's a quick turnaround for you. Well, I'm usually not. First of all, I don't get sick very often. Yeah. Whereas you get sick about six times a week. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think everyone needs to know that, first of all. Um, so I don't get sick very often, and then when I do, I'm usually only sick for a day. So the fact that I was sick for two days in this case um, was abnormal. But mm. this one, it just did. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a non-flu virus that uh, that really packed the wallop and got worse on day two than day one. So um, you know, I take a lot of zinc. I take a lot of vitamins. Uh, exercise a lot. So. Mm. Um, I also, you know, I don't know if, I can't remember if we've talked about this before, um, but I have a, a, a tried and true trick of, I take hand sanitizer <laughs> and I put some under my nose. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I believe that that knocks down the germs that are trying to crawl into my nose. And so I feel like that is uh, an explainer for my high rate of health, despite these flights all over the country with <laughs> people who cough. Wait, do you have any go-to medicine, or is it just, like, little things that you've come up with along the way here? No, I mean, I used to be uh, I used to be a big fan of, of Dayquil, NyQuil, but I, I don't take that anymore. Okay. Um, I have that Sambacol stuff uh, that I like, um, but that was no match for this, for this monster. Um, so, but, but no, I think it's more like in the... Um, it's more in the preventative stuff. It's, it's in taking the zinc and the multi-vitamins. Yeah. Multi, uh, and uh, uh, I take vitamin D, um, stuff like that. So Interesting. And I take an allergy pill. Yeah, so uh, do that every day and you know, just try to just build it up as much as I can. So I'm glad you brought up Sambacol, right? Because sitting by you, I felt like maybe I was going to start to get worse here in the next couple of days. 
Yes. Yeah. I'm turning the tables on you. I'm blaming you now for me being sick. Um, so That's I, fair. I, I have, be. like, I have those little things, right? And they come in, um, like, the aluminum wrapping type thing. But, right. But I threw away the box. So I don't know the directions on how to take them. Like, I don't know if they're pills. I don't know if they're dissolve. I don't know if I'm supposed to chew them. Um, well, good. I can help you. Okay. They are, um, they, they dissolve. So you pop one and you take them every four hours. Okay, gotcha. As, as, as needed. And you got to keep taking them. Um, and you'll, I mean, it could help. Especially, I would do that over the next couple of days to, uh, yeah, just to safeguard. You know, I'm not much of a sneezer or cougher, but yeah, I mean, you sit close enough that I would probably do that. Second question. Do you buy into this idea that medicine expires? Medicine expires? Yeah. Um, I, 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 I mean, I would say it gets less effective, but, but maybe not, not that it expires. I don't know. If there's Advil laying around, you know, I'll pop it. Okay, so I have an old prescription upstairs. I didn't use the entire prescription last time I got sick. It was last year. I had an upper respiratory infection. I went to the, the minute clinic or whatever it was, urgent care, and they, they said it's an upper respiratory infection. So they prescribed um, this, I don't remember exactly what it was, um, but they're like little gold nugget type things. Um, and I didn't use the entire prescription because I got healthier before um, I took it all. And last night I was going through my medicine cabinet and I was looking for whatever I could take uh, before bed. And I noticed that I still had a prescription, but it was expired, obviously. It was from last year. And I'm just wondering yeah. if I should go ahead and take it because it's not very often that you can get those kinds of things unless you actually go to the urgent care. No, I, I would not do that in this case because if you catch what I had as the virus, yeah. you're not going to need antibiotics and so you don't want to... Um, you don't want to build up resistance to that drug, oh. which you will need. By the way, you know, as we're sitting here talking and talking about how I'm feeling better already and how you're taking preventative stuff, my wife is sitting next to me and staring daggers, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in no small part because she has a first throat today, <laughs> which means tomorrow she'll be uh, crawling on all fours throughout the house with a crippling fever, but... The good news is, is that Friday will be great. It'll be fine by Friday. There you go. And on Friday, uh, the Cavs have to determine whether they're going to practice because that's the day after they take on the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, Joe, it's been a long time that w since we have talked because, again, the All-Star break um, yeah. kind of stepped in when it came to the podcast. And I went to Arizona, and you covered the All-Star game. Um so we've got the new Cavs. Uh, it seems like Ty is still trying to figure out exactly what he has with this team. And that's something that you wrote about last night. Explain deeper what you mean by that. Yeah, that was probably one of my favorite quotes from last night uh, from the, the win over the net. It was just that, um, you know, they have this close game against a team that's not very good, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but he plays all four of his new guys down the stretch, and all four of them... <laughs> excuse me, all four of them step up uh, and make these plays. And so rather than being concerned that they had to eke one out against the Nets, he says, listen, I, I don't really know what I have. Um, so it's good to be in these situations and see how players respond 
in crunch time. Um, and, I mean, it's the, the truth, obviously, here, Chris, is that they didn't just go and trade for four new guys. Like, they went and traded for guys who they are using as part of their core. Mm-hmm. Um, these are players they're playing in crunch time. These are players that are that are scoring uh, lots of points. I mean, Jordan Clarkson's averaging about 14 a game. George Hill's averaging about 12. Uh, Rodney Hood's over 10 points a game. He's like an 11. Um you know, Nance isn't that far off from a double-double. And, like, these are guys that they're counting on. So this is an extraordinary thing for a, a, a franchise that is expected to go to the finals to rip up half its roster mm-hmm. at, at midseason. And then, you know, the expectations don't change, but everything else does because you have these new players. So it's, it's, really, a, it's really unique. Um, what do you think of him sticking with the starting lineup? He said last night that uh, he's going to continue to go with this unless something changes until Kevin Love comes back. Um, do you think that's the right move, and do you understand the thinking behind that? Well, uh, okay, so I, I do understand from the standpoint of um, you want to make as few disruptions to your rotation at large I agree. as you can. Um, so... I think we all agree that it looks like Jetty will be on his way out uh, when Kevin comes back um, and to the point where he may pull a Calderon going from starting to out of the rotation. Um, So if that's true, if that's really the plan, then yeah, I I don't know um, that it makes a lot of sense to take a player who eventually will come off the bench um, and and move move him into the starting lineup for a couple weeks because you don't like what you're getting from Jetty. I, I, I think that Jetty is confident enough to hold down this role and can give them some things, you know, at, at both ends. Um, he struggled to shoot, as have a couple of their other starters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing you want to avoid is you want to avoid long losing streaks, um, which they've been able to do so far. They've followed up both of their losses with wins mm-hmm. uh, since this new iteration came together. And then um, you also want to make sure that your starters are not digging you in giant holes in the first and third quarters. Um, and they did fall behind by nine last night to, uh, to, to Brooklyn, and I don't think starters had a, a great outing against the Spurs either. Right. So you got to guard, guard against this. But as we all know, if everything else is equal, what matters is who's playing at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ty seems to be getting closer on that. I think it also matters to some degree, Joe, how guys get comfortable, right? Um, Rodney Hood last night, I think one of the biggest differences between uh, what he had done in some previous games and last night in the fourth quarter, um, number one, he didn't just settle for a bunch of outside shots. He was aggressive. He attacked the basket. But I think it was how the Cavs used him. You know, since coming over from Utah in the trades, he has been one of the lowest usage players that the Cavs have on this roster. He's got a lower usage than Jetty, a lower usage than like J.R. Smith. And I think Ty is still trying to figure out, okay, like what is what is it going to be that's going to make these guys the most effective and most comfortable? And I think uh, last night shined a light on the idea that Rodney Hood is used to getting like 14 shots per game. He's used to being a high usage player. He wasn't just a standalone shooter in Utah. He was somebody who had the ball in his hands and he was able to create in the pick and roll. And when a guy gets comfortable in that kind of role, no matter what he says, 
and he's trying to do the right thing and fit in and not step in on anybody's toes and um, do whatever it takes to help this team win a championship. When a guy is used to that sort of usage, and that's how he's been most comfortable and most effective, I think it becomes really, really difficult uh, for that guy to thrive when he's being used a different kind of way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Rodney Hood is, is probably the best uh, example of that. Um, you know, just for, for all the, the reasons that you that you just mentioned. Um, but you know, if 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 usage is is his thing, uh, then then you got to figure out where where would they get the most use out of him. And right. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what the answer is? Um, would he get the maximum usage playing alongside LeBron uh, right now in the starting lineup? I, I mean, maybe there's a case to be made there. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, he'd, he'd be in there instead of Jr. Um, uh, or Jetty. Yeah. And, uh, and, and and at any rate, like Jr. And, and George Hill don't need to use that many possessions. Um, whereas right now he's playing alongside Jordan Clarkson, but you know, I, I mean, I think for Rodney Hood, like he's not used to playing with a guy like like Clarkson off the bench. Right. Um, you know, I mean, Rodney Hood had this huge game in the fourth quarter last night. Going into the fourth quarter, he had only taken three shots, yep. so everything worked out well. Um, you know, the the narrative of Ty talking these guys to be more aggressive and and they played so great when it mattered. Um, yeah, but but Hood did nothing up until the fourth quarter. So right. I would say of the four guys, um, he's probably the one that that they they need to do a better job the most of of getting to use. I agree, and that's why I was thinking. <laughs> so if you look at the fourth quarter, his usage in the fourth quarter last night alone, when he had the breakout quarter, it was thirty. It was above thirty. Um, so I think that that speaks volumes about. Um, that correlating to his comfort, which which is why I mentioned, like if if Ty is is looking to make changes, and I don't know that he is, um, and if he gets comfortable enough with one of these new guys, like learning the offense, knowing secondary things on offense, getting comfortable on defense, I think going Rodney Hood for Jetty Osman is something that makes a ton of sense for this team because I think it would help Rodney get a little bit more comfortable. It would increase his usage because the Cavs right now are still, Joe, searching for that legitimate second scoring option. Um, not somebody to do everything that Kevin did when he was in there, but to fill something close to that role in terms of take pressure off of LeBron, uh, provide some instant offense. Um, and I think Rodney Hood is somebody that, that fits into that particular role and see if he can create offense for himself and others. Um, and replacing Kevin Love with Jetty Osman, essentially, like I, I don't know what that was supposed to do offensively. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think though, um, I, I mean, the points you're making are, are sound, and I, I agree with them. But I, I do think that if you are going to do that, um, if you're if you're going to play Rodney Hood instead of Jetty with starters, then you have to be prepared to sit Jr. when Kevin comes back. I agree. Um, just because for everything that you just said, that that through then of put comfort level for when Kevin comes back, like he you know he finds his niche with the starters, and then Kevin comes back, 
um, and you don't feel like moving off of JR because he's a veteran and he's gotten you there the last three years. Um, now, now you're asking Hood to do something new again. Yeah. Uh, which is hard. So you have to be prepared to make that move. And we've talked about it before on this podcast. The move with JR is very, very delicate. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it really is. I mean, if it weren't, it would have been made, certainly, mm. um, by now. But, but it is. And, and, you know, JR is an easy fall guy, especially now that there have been trades. Um, he, you know, and he's in a rut again. Uh, he had not playing so much better. And then the last three games, he's been uh, virtually non-existent. Um, back on the, this, uh, one more point I want to make with these, with these new guys. Um, something that dawned on me today, or pulling together a, a little story, is, um, you've got four new players. Mm-hmm. And this is all their first time playing with LeBron. Yep. Um, and that is a unique experience, certainly. Um, but two of the guys, Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance, played with Kobe. Yes. Which is, you know, also very unique and rare and, and actually is something that is comparable to playing with LeBron. So if you think about the four guys that they've had, which two were the two that Ty had to address them as far as their aggression and what uh, the shots they would take or, or pass up, yep. it would be the two guys who didn't have the Kobe experience. Yep. Um, so I think that's part of it too is getting Jordan not Jordan, getting uh, George Hill and, and Rodney Hood to be more comfortable playing alongside a superstar like LeBron yeah. because neither has really had that experience like coming to a team that is so thoroughly dominated and, and owned on the court by this one superstar yeah. legend player. <laughs> Whereas, you know, Clarkson and Nance have just kind of come out here and just, like, they're shot out of the can. They just play. Um, and, I, and I really think that some of that has to do with um, the previous experience of playing Kobe. I think that's a really good point. I think that's something that we kind of saw um, with Jay Crowder at the beginning of the season. I mean, if you think about the stops that Crowder had made throughout the course of his career, he was in Dallas, which is a structured offense. It's not centered around just one guy. Um, and then he was in Boston, which obviously it was Isaiah-centric towards the end, but it was Brad Stevens' offense. A lot of different guys touched the ball throughout the course of a possession. Nobody was really just standing around. And I know that all of these guys always say that, hey, we're there to fit in. We're going to do whatever it takes. But sometimes it's more difficult than that. And sometimes guys aren't used to that. And they can't be successful doing that sort of thing. They're just the wrong fit. And I think you saw a little bit of that with Jay Crowder. And now look at what he's doing in Utah. Back in a system where everybody's touching it. It's not just one guy. And he's actually playing relatively well for the Jazz. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I think that's right, and uh, obviously um, Crowder just didn't work here, and 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 I think they really thought that he would. Um, I thought it was, I think it was surprising to them that he couldn't find uh, he couldn't find his place here. Yep. And I think he was surprised and, and disappointed just at, at the relative lack of structure on the Cavs, but that relative lack of structure is by design. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they they play through the box. That that's why even when you had Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, two of the better players in the game on the court, 
uh, on nights when LeBron was out, they still couldn't win because they were so used to running everything through LeBron. Had they practiced it a different way um, and set up their team a different way, you know, the Cavs would have won a lot more of those games on nights when LeBron wasn't out there. But, you know, there's a reason you have LeBron, and that's to set things up a certain way. Yep. So. Joe, last thing on the rotations and the lineups. Um, your thoughts on the, the Tristan Thompson v. Larry Nance Jr. debate that's going on on Twitter right now? Oh, well, you know, if it's going on on Twitter, then it must be true. <laughs> you're Tristan telling me you're not all over that joke? Come on now. I mean, Tristan Thompson has been playing like game busters lately. Um, he hasn't done, like, he, is, he has <coughs> lived up to the to the player that he's supposed to be over these last several games. He is a high-energy, high-volume rebounder, uh, especially at the defensive end. Um, uh, but he's, he's been getting some offensive rebounds lately as well. He's got one or two decent post moves. He's been using them. They're trying to ro- uh, roll him to the, to the hoop for lobs. Yep. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, when they feel like they need a player who's a little bit more versatile, who can shoot it from a little bit further out and can maybe get up and down a little bit quicker, they go with Nance. So I, I, I don't see any reason right now to change from what they're doing with those two. Plus, I think the, the Clarkson-Nance Jr. combination, um, maximizing the amount of minutes that they have together, I think is important because they've got that natural chemistry from playing in Los Angeles um, and what Jordan Clarkson does works well alongside what Larry Nance Jr. does in terms of the high pick and roll. So I like maximizing those lineups as much as possible, and I think that's keeping Larry Nance Jr. Um, in that second unit. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think the interesting thing that, that I've noticed with this team, Joe, is that when they lose a game, it shines a light on some of the issues that we believe they still have, Right. Like, I think the trades that they made obviously made them better, but it certainly didn't fix everything, especially with not having Kevin Love. When they lose games, it's like, okay, well, they don't have that second scoring option, they didn't have enough offense, or they didn't make enough threes, and their numbers, when they make 10 threes, they win games. When they don't make 10 threes, they don't win games. And then when they lose games, it also shines a light on this idea that they've improved defensively in part because of subtractions. Like, the minute Isaiah Thomas left this team, the Cavs became a capable defensive team. But I think there was always a question of, okay, how much are they going to improve on defense? Because, you know, they didn't add DeAndre Jordan. They didn't add Avery Bradley. They didn't add an all-NBA-type defender. They added long guys, young guys, feisty guys. They can switch everything now. Yeah, fast guys, athletic guys. Like, all of those things were naturally going to improve them defensively. But I think there was always a question of how much better can they be if they don't have a great individual defenders. Um, and I think every time they lose a game, it shines a light on those three things. Well, I mean, we're only talking about flight, but, but uh, in those two games, you're right. I mean, they were 16 and 69 from three. Yep. And then, you know, they gave up 110 points in both games. Um, last night, they weren't great defensively either. Uh, obviously, giving up 123 to the Nets. But I do think, I, look, I, I don't know if think is the right word. I, I wonder if 
um, the the defensive issues we see now are more of a product of a lack of familiarity. Okay. Uh, okay. Whereas before it was obvious, it was a it was a mixture of carelessness and uh, ill fitting personnel mm-hmm. to be able to defend. Uh, and we've gone over that at length on how on this team there was simply going to be no stopping anyone with Isaiah Thomas. Yep. Like, you, you just couldn't you couldn't do it. Yep. Um, and so now, you know, they, they have had stretches in, in all these games where they played well defensively. Um, if you think about it, their, their worst quarter by far against the Spurs was in the fourth quarter. Um, there was a couple questionable lineup decisions there. Yep. I kind of went away from defense. Um, and then the Wizards game, like some of the details there kind of escaped me. But, but you know, uh, it, I mean, the, the three-point shooting was the thing. I, I just, I, I wonder if um, this team actually is better defensively. I mean, of course they are. Yeah, but right. if they're, if they're um, actually going to be fundamentally better um, to the point where it'll make a real difference, yep. I think they have a chance for that. Um, but she's, you know, when we talk about scoring options, like, yeah, that's great. When Kevin comes back, he's going to be the second scoring option, and he's a really solid player. He's an all-star. But he was the third option on these three final teams. Yeah. I mean, you, you lost Kyrie Irving. Like, <laughs> you know, well, what do you want me to say? I, I mean, they're going to have to win differently. Do you think they can win differently? Like, in the long term? Well, I'm not sure that anybody knows that just yet. Yeah, um, I mean, it has only been know, six uh, games with the new guys. Yeah. You're right, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, so like I, I mean, I was sitting there uh, in my fever-induced state last <laughs> night, ready to ask Ty if, okay, yeah, you know, it's a process, and yeah, you don't know what you have, and this and that, but do you see it? Do you see the potential? Right. Yes. Um, and, and I didn't, because I don't know that that's there yet. I mean, he said time and again that he likes what they have now. Um, they'll, they'll be able to play the way he wants them to play more now which I thought was a very important statement from earlier this week. Yeah. Um, but but you just you just don't know. Like you, you don't know uh, how this is going to look after a month or two. So I guess I mean it's kind of in a way it's nerve wracking. I mean if you're you know if you're a, a Cavs supporter, um, you know I think you gave yourself a chance to get back to the finals now, where I don't think you had one. With the current, with the group uh, as previously constructed, mm-hmm. and now it's just a question of like, did they solve enough of their problems right. with this group to be able to, to throw that in with LeBron and, and you know get back? It's funny that you bring that up about you were going to ask Ty whether he saw it or not, um, because I was talking to a member of the Cavs organization on the side the other day, and I asked that very question. And I couldn't get a sense of whether he was being honest when he said yes, or if he just wanted to believe that the answer was yes. You know what I mean? And I think that just Uh, points to the fact that there's still a lot that they have to figure out. Um, And it's only been six games. And and LeBron continues to mention, hey, we've got to fast track this sort of thing. But at the same time, we can't shortcut. So what they're trying to do here, Joe, is very, very difficult I mean, at the beginning of this podcast, you mentioned like it's not just making trades and getting a few new pieces here or there. It is four of the most important eight or nine guys in this particular rotation. I mean, that's unheard of, the amount of turnover that the Cavs are trying. Now, 
they have a guy in LeBron who can bring it all together. And maybe they have a head coach in Ty that can bring it all together. But I do think it's worth mentioning that what they're trying to do here in the final couple of months is very, very difficult, especially with how many games they have tossed in here. Yeah, I mean, I would say, at minimum, nearly unprecedented. Like, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that's like this. I'm sure there's probably one other instance or two in NBA history, but this is this is nuts. Um, and, and the Cavs are probably... They are the only team with finals expectations that could have found themselves in this spot to need to rip everything up, and they're probably the only team <laughs> capable of doing it and getting back to the finals just because of the the glue guy that they have. Like LeBron, like you said, um, you know, the, it's a common thought out there that LeBron could take four guys and drag them to the finals. Well, you know, mm-hmm. he may just do that. Which I think brings us to um, an interesting question. Um, when you left the media writing room last night, there were a few of us still in there. It was myself, Jason Lloyd, Marla Ridenauer, and um, Dave McMenamin. Jason brought up an idea of of whether he thinks LeBron can still get back in the MVP race. Um, and I think the race is something that goes on for a long, long time. And, and whether you're a contender for that or in the conversation, I feel like that's vague and I don't even know how to define that. Um, but there's been a lot of chatter, Joe, about because of the way that things went for the Cavs in January and the fact that they needed to blow up this roster – Um, and what James Harden has done in Houston all season long, and the fact that Houston has the best record in the NBA, like, this is James Harden's award. Um, Do you view it the same way, or do you think, based on what LeBron did in February, averaging a triple-double for the entire month, he's very close to um, the most triple-doubles that he's ever had in a single season. Uh, Do you think that he still has a chance here? No, I I don't. Really? He... Yeah, I, I think he ruined um, he ruined it in in January. Um, Kobe obviously uh, didn't do him any favors um, with with the players that were brought in. Uh, you know, Ty had a hand in it, um, playing the lineups that he played, and the players that were here themselves played a role certainly. Um, but LeBron didn't play well in January at all. They lost a ton of games. Um, LeBron's effort was questioned, uh, certainly on the, on the defensive end, and everybody thought and everybody knew, yeah. like the whole league and everybody who votes for this was keenly aware of what was going on in Cleveland. In the meantime, you've got the Rockets, who are a very much a legitimate threat uh, to the um, Warriors, at least in the regular season, which is when we vote on this. Uh, James Harden's been great, and he has probably locked it up. Um, it would take him getting hurt like today or tomorrow, uh, and 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 for the Cavs catch uh, Boston at, at minimum, maybe Toronto. I think for for LeBron to, to do it, and it's a shame because he's going to have when it's all said and done, he's going to have one of his greatest statistical seasons yep. ever. Um, but I think I I think the ship has probably sailed again on him. I had the same thought, and in the way that I put it is. You can't tell the story of LeBron James' season or the Cavs' season without talking about some of those dark, dark times, including January. And we've talked about it on the podcast. Maybe he was doing it for a reason. Maybe he was trying to shine a light on the issues on the court 
and that was him wielding his power and him showing all of the issues that the Cavs had that needed to change. But again, there's that dark period that the Cavs and LeBron went through, and James Harden doesn't have that, right? Russell Westbrook has a chance to finish with a triple-double average again this year. He is very, very close to those numbers right now. He needs to get his rebounds up a little bit. So I've always said that it's going to take something really, really special uh, to keep an MVP award out of LeBron's hands. And I would say that what James Harden is doing in Houston, leading the NBA in scoring, he has a chance to lead the NBA in assists. The Houston Rockets have the best offense of all time. That's pretty impressive, no matter who the coach is, no matter what system you're playing, no matter how the numbers have changed over time. You can tell a story of James Harden's season without talking about something bad. Um, And you can't when it comes to LeBron. I think it's very, very hard to get over that. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and he's done this. <laughs> I mean, it's it's tough because he's. It, there's been a couple of things that have worked against him over the last several years. One is injuries and or availability. Um, you know, you got to play to be MVP, and this year he has not missed the game, so mm-hmm. he's there this time. You got to have extraordinary statistics. Uh, LeBron, year in and year out, is one of the very best players statistically, but over the last couple of years with what Steph did from three-point range and leading the league in scoring, and yep. then what Russ did last year with averaging a triple-double for the first time since Oscar, that is extraordinary. Well, uh, LeBron is going to have, um, you know, as we've already said, maybe his best statistical season, if not very close, and averaging triple-double in a month, probably going to set a career high for those. That's pretty close to extraordinary. But then you've got Harden, who's done all the things that he's done. Uh, so that so maybe that's a strike there. And then the third thing is he the, like sort of the, the 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 friction and the tension that he causes yeah. um, on purpose. Uh, you know, w- with the idea in mind of affecting change in the team or getting the team ready for when things get hard in the playoffs. Like that's why he does these things. But that hurts him in the meantime. Because um, some of the drama is unnecessary. And, uh, you know, especially when it's coupled with losing the way the Cavs lost. You know, there's no way. I, I mean, I don't see how they're going to win 50 games. I mean, they've only won 36 now. Right. There's only there's only 22 left or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, so they may not even win 50 games. Like, that, I, you know. They lost all as many as they did in January, and he was at the root of just some of the negativity. Um, that just it's just probably not going to happen. Did you know that one in six Northeast Ohioans struggle with hunger? Many people in Northeast Ohio are forced to make tough choices. Unexpected expenses, prescription costs, and rising heat costs are all things that can prevent people from being able to put food on the table, and they are forced to make tough decisions, which often results in hunger. But you can help. Each dollar that you donate to the Harvest for Hunger campaign will result in four meals. Donate today by visiting harvestforhunger.org. Help feed your neighbors. Cleveland.com is a sponsor of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's Harvest for Hunger campaign. All right, we're going to rip through some questions before we get out of here. Sean wants to know, is it inevitable that Rodney Hood will eventually be the Cavs' starting shooting guard? Oh, uh, yeah, it's inevitable. It's just, are you t- talking to me about this year or next? 
Um, he's the <laughs> starter next year for sure. Uh, How this about this year, year? You know, it it's, just remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, somebody wants to know, is Jetty the odd man out when Kevin Love comes back, or is there somebody that maybe we're not thinking about? It's Jetty. What about Corver? I, I, I know what you mean there, um, but I, I still think that, I mean, he's like that situational lefty, um, <laughs> you know, that, that always has a place in the bullpen. Like, yeah. he just bombs too many threes. Like, he has a chance to make a three every time he shoots one. Um, so he's probably always going to get some run. Okay. Um, this one comes from Big Boy. Big Boy says, why do you think the media focuses on the new players not being in the playoffs before and how it may be bad for LeBron, but not look at the Cavs the first year LeBron came back because Kyrie, Kevin Love, Tristan, they didn't have that experience either, and it worked to a degree until both got hurt. Uh, I don't know what media he's talking about. I don't, I don't think... I think a lot of the focus has been on the here and now and how they look now as to what's going to go on later in the playoffs. Okay. Um, let's Let's turn the question then. Do you have any concerns about these new guys when it comes to the postseason stage? Um, I mean, you know, George Hill, certainly not. Right. Uh, he's been as battle-tested as you can be, and, right. and Rodney Hood is young, but has already been to the postseason. Um, you would, you know, Clarkson and, and Nance have not been there before, but I don't know now that I've seen Jordan play live uh, with the Cavs six times and just kind of gauging how he plays, I, I, I don't think that fear would ever be a factor um, or being nervous would ever be a factor. I think that guy's going to shoot it when he gets it. Yep. Uh, I think he's going to go to the hole. Um, I think he's going to want the ball in his hands, and I think LeBron's going to look for him. So, I, you know, I, I, I mean, it's a, it's a valid concern, so whatever media out there that are raising these questions is certainly right to do so, but... Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that I think I, I don't think that would be as big of an issue as some of the other things. I just want to throw this out there. It's not me saying that Rodney Hood will be bad in the postseason. It's not me saying that at all. But I I want to point out the numbers because I think it's fair to do that. He played eleven postseason games last year for the Utah Jazz. He played twenty five minutes per game. He shot thirty five percent from the field, twenty six percent from three point range. 60% from the free throw line, and he averaged 8.9 points per game. So his numbers um, from the postseason, I think, give some people pause, and rightfully so. And it's going to be up to him to show that that was um, an anomaly, and he can be effective on the postseason stage. And he can stay healthy for the postseason, too. Well, I'm going to guess that the Warriors had quite a bit to do with that. <laughs> well... Um, well, guess which team you're trying to get past. Well, sure, uh, but Rodney didn't have LeBron and Kevin Love and Clarkson and whoever else on his side either. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, and I thought when Rodney threw one off the, the side of the backboard the other night um, in crunch time, that was a problem too. Um, that would that that was maybe a harbinger of some of these issues. Yeah, um, but. You know, that's what now, you know, they're in his ear now to be more aggressive right. now, to play the right way now. Um, and you just have to, you know, hope and or assume that it thinks in by the time they get to April. Uh, digging more into the numbers, in the conference quarterfinals against the Clippers before they even played the Warriors, Rodney Hood, 10.4 points, 
24.6 minutes, 37% from the field, 34% from three-point range, 68% from the free-throw line just in that series. Um, yeah, so he was bad but got much worse against the Warriors. Yes, correct. Yeah. And then John wants to know, what are your thoughts on Josh Allen to the Browns? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, so, I just, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I've watched clips of him on your computer and... <laughs> You know, they already have him. His name is Deshaun Kaiser. I, you know, you, you got to have somebody accurate. Um, so I'm against it uh, wholeheartedly, but they don't ask me. 